Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. We're glad you're here. I want to say, too, it was just a fantastic day at the church picnic yesterday. Debbie thought it was the largest attendance we've ever had at our church picnic. And it was so wonderful to see all of you, but especially some of our new folks and new families in our church to come out the top of the world. In fact, I talked to many who said that, you know, this was their first time. They'd never been there and how beautiful it was. And uh, again, we just, just had a great day together. Psalm 95 this morning, we are in the midst of a series on the heart of worship. And I believe that 10 weeks ago when we started this series that God was leading us to teach all of us as a church about what it is to worship him and how to have a heart of worship. You know, in the church today, there's a lot of discussion on worship and a lot of debate about worship. And you hear a lot of Christians talking about worship. What's the Bible say about worship? And God actually has a lot to teach us uh, about how to worship him. In fact, in his word, he really answers all the questions, the who, what, where, whens, whys, and hows of worship. And, and in fact, the largest book of the Bible, the book of Psalms that we're pulling these 14 messages from, I think that's significant. It is the song book or the praise book or the worship book of the Bible, and there's no larger book in the Bible than the book of Psalms. It, I think, again, reminds us that worship is very important to God. And for us who claim to know God in a personal way, then I think he's telling us, here's how I want you to worship me. And I, I want to teach you about all aspects of worship. Now, at the very beginning of this series, we saw that really the heart of worship is God's worthiness or value in our life. And in fact, the word worship comes from an old English word, worship. And it's the idea that we worship that which we value the most. We worship what is most worthy to us of worship. And that really then every human being is a worshiper because every human being is, if you follow the breadcrumbs of our life of what we're giving our time to and our treasure to and our, putting our effort into and all of that, it leads back to something. We're all worshiping something or someone in our life by the attention that we give it. We're saying, this is of greatest value to me in my life. And obviously, for those of us who claim to follow God, God should be the one that is of greatest value and worth to us in our life. And all of our worship, not just our singing and praising and all of that, though that's what we've been focused on, all of our lives should be focused on we value you, God, above everything else. Now, this morning, the outline's actually pretty simple. I'm just taking it from four words in Psalm 95, and I'm just going to give them to you quickly, and then we're going to go down through, and I want to share some thoughts with you from this psalm, Psalm 95, this morning. The first word of the psalm and the first sort of uh, subject is come. That's where we'll begin in just a moment. But the second word I want you to look at is in verse 3, the first word of verse 3, 4. Then down in verse 6, 
about halfway through the verse is the word worship. And then towards the end of verse 7 is the word today. That's the outline of the message today. Come for worship today. Let's begin by looking at the word come. It is an invitation not only from the psalmist but from God to his people. Come, he says. God wants to be worshipped. And one of the ways that we worship God is by drawing near to God, by coming into his presence. By, by being with him. That, that is a way that we worship. And God is always inviting people to come to him. In fact, God cares so much about spending time with us and drawing near to us and being close to us that God was willing to do whatever it took to remove the barrier between human beings and himself so that we could get close to him. And let's not forget what that was. It was the death of God's Son, Jesus Christ, that made the way for all of us who desire to, to get as close to God as we can. God took care of the obstacles. God took care of the barrier. God said, sin is a barrier between me and you. And I want to take care of that so that you can draw close to me, so that you can come into my presence, so that you can be around me and live your life in my presence every day. That's how much God thought of, of not only worship, but of coming to him and living out of his presence. I mean, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And, and God's heart has always been, I'm not a distant God. I don't want to be at a distance. I don't want to be aloof. I don't want to be up here and you down there. I want us to be so close that God even said, and part of my plan is that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, will actually live and dwell within those of you that that by faith have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's how close God wants to be to us, as close as possible. And so God's invitation always is, come, come, and I'll take care of whatever barrier, whatever obstacle is in the way so that you can get as close to me as possible and we can live our life in partnership. We can live our life close together. You don't have to feel like God is very far away at all. But notice something else here in the first couple verses surrounding the invitation to come for worship. He says, come, let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout out praises to our protector who delivers us. Let's enter his presence with thanksgiving and let's shout out to him in celebration. Several things surrounding the word come. First of all, notice the corporate responsibility and privilege of worship. Four times in two verses, he's basically saying, let us, let us sing. Let us shout out praises. Let us enter his presence. Let us shout out. Now, we've seen throughout our study of worship that worship has a personal, private aspect where you and I are called to worship the Lord individually throughout our whole week. And, and every day of our life, we are called to worship God in some way and acknowledge him and draw near to him. 
But there's also something very special to God's heart when his people, when we leave our homes and when we gather together and come together as a community of believers and where we have this great privilege of being able to raise our voices and worship the Lord together. It is so important that that is a priority to our heart and, and in our minds because it's a priority to God. God loves it when he looks down and he sees his people coming together and doing what we just did, that we take time and make time for him on Sunday and Wednesday and maybe other times during the week to come together as God's people and where we raise our voices and we lift them in praise to God. Let us do this, see? It's not just about me, and it's about all of us because part of that corporate community essence of worship is that hopefully that will be a mutual encouragement to all of us. Because many times out there in the world, we can get beat up, we can get beat down, we can have pretty rough weeks and, and maybe even feel like maybe you're the only Christian in your family. Maybe you're the only Christian where you work or go to school. Maybe you're the only Christian in your community or in your neighborhood. And you may feel pretty isolated and alone. So it's so good when you and I can come together and we can look around and go, yeah, I'm not the only one that believes Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm not the only one that believes that, that he's deserving of worship. I, I'm not the only one that feels like I've been so blessed by God and that God created me and loves me and all that, that we can look around and say, yeah, other people do too. And they want to sing about my God too. And it's an encouragement to all of us. You'll notice something else here, though, too. Notice that the psalmist is portraying a very celebratory mood and festive atmosphere when it comes to community worship. Our worship should be enthusiastic and exuberant. Notice he says, sing for joy, shout out praises, enter with thanksgiving, and shout out to him in what? Celebration. If any group of people on earth has things to celebrate, if Christians have something to celebrate, Amen. there should not be a happier or humbler group of people on earth than those who follow Jesus Christ as their Savior. I mean, let's just, let's just name some. First of all, God loves us and we're his children. He's forgiven us of all of our sins, cast them into the sea as far as the east is from the west, planted his Holy Spirit in us, gave us eternal life. Uh, you know, we have the future prospect of the hope of glory for all of eternity. Uh, I mean, we could go on and on. Should we not come to celebrate what God has done and who God is in our lives? Absolutely. And listen, folks, it's not just about emotion. I know so many Christians sort of go the other way. It's like, well, I, I don't, I don't want to get too emotional and make it, you know, too emotional. We don't want to make it just about emotion. But isn't there something even in the Word of God about if we really love God, shouldn't there be some kind of emotion and passion and intensity even in our worship? And it's not for show if it's sincere and genuine. Listen, even King David was shouted down by his wife because he got a little bit too emotional and worshiped to God and started dancing around. We won't talk about the pastor dancing, by the way, today. <laughs> and guess what? 
God never rebuked or disciplined David for his over-emotional response, but he did rebuke his wife for rebuking him for being too emotional. And we need to be careful. Again, we can go too far one way where our worship is just about show. It's just about, you know, drawing attention to ourselves and all of that and not being genuine and sincere, but there's also where sometimes we overreact and we don't want to get too emotional. And I think God is saying to us here, where's the singing for joy? Where's the shouting out of praises? Where's shouting to me in celebration? And that, that celebratory mood and that exuberance and enthusiasm. If we truly believe in the God of the Bible and what he's done for us, shouldn't we get a little excited about it? Amen. I think we should. Listen, as human beings, we get excited about a lot of things. I think we should get excited and enthusiastic about God, too. You know, I had a large background in sports at one time in my life when I was much younger. And, you know, what do you go into a stadium with football, basketball, baseball? And I mean, people are going nuts. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You want to be a fanatic about a team or a player or whatever, that's fine. But to me, God is, is more valuable and worthy than any of that. Amen. Let's go on. One other thing about the invitation to come. Notice that our worship is God-centered, not man-centered which is one of the desires we have here at the Oasis, is that those of us on this platform never are uh, having a desire to draw attention to ourselves, but to make sure that people are look, being able to look past us and see the God who's behind us and behind it all. And, and that's the way true worship is. It's not about the human beings. It's not drawing attention to ourselves and, and our skills and abilities and talents. Because let's face it, if we have any skills, abilities, and talents and gifts, who gave them to us in the first place? God did. And therefore, God should get all the glory for it. So notice in the first couple verses, let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout out praises to our protector. Let's enter his presence. Let's shout out to him. It is focused on the Lord. So the invitation, first of all, is given in Psalm 95, come. And that's a huge aspect of worship. God wants us to come into his presence. He invites us in. He's willing to remove any obstacles or barriers to his presence in our lives so that we can get as close to him as possible. And as we come, he not only wants us to worship him individually, he wants us to worship him corporately so that we can mutually encourage one another in our worship of God. And he wants us to do it exuberantly and enthusiastically because we should, because we have so much to celebrate. And let's make sure that our worship is God-centered always. That's come. Now, the next in verse 3 is 4. Four could also be translated because. It, it gives us a few reasons why we should worship. And we've already seen a couple of them even in the first couple of verses. But the psalmist gets very specific here and he mentions three reasons why God should be worshipped. He is sovereign. He is creator. He is shepherd. Notice. And these are not exhaustive, obviously. There's a bazillion reasons, if you will, that we could worship God. So he's just pulling out just a few, but even just these three would give us enough fuel to be able to worship God for the rest of our lives. First of all, verse 3 and 4 
he's sovereign. For the Lord is a great God, a great king who is superior to all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand and the mountain peaks belong to him. He's simply saying, God rules, God reigns, he's in control. He made it all, he sustains it all. He's the master of the universe. He is in control. And we talked a lot about that last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today. The Lord reigns, amen? Amen. He is in control. He's sovereign over everything. But then notice he also says in verse 5 and in verse 6, he's also the creator and should be worshipped for that as well. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. And at the end of verse 6, let's kneel before the Lord, our creator. And if you want to be inspired to worship, think about even just this for a second. And this is all that man has been able to come up with at this point with our limited technology, if you will, even though we think we have a lot, that there have been billions, yes, I said B, billions, billions of galaxies discovered in the universe that God created. Think about that. Billions of galaxies. That's how big and vast the universe is. And yet think about this. The same God that designed and created this vast universe that we can't even begin to wrap our arms and minds around created you and me. (laughs) He knit us together in our mother's womb. And the God, the big, great God that created this vast universe knows each of us by name. He loves each of us. He knows every intimate and intricate detail of our life. That's why the Bible says he even knows the hairs on our head. That doesn't count for me, but he still knows me. He knows other intimate, intricate things. You see, yes, God is great and God is big and he's awesome and he's majestic and and we can't truly, you know, wrap ourselves around how, because he is, he's infinite. And yet at the same time, he's so personal. And he's right here even today, amen? Amen. You can feel his presence in this place this morning. And so that big God, you know, stoops down to our level. And so when we think about him being the creator of this vast universe, let's not forget he also created you and me. And that should inspire our worship. He took the time to plan out you know, what color eyes and all these things we would have and, and, and who we, and, and he had a plan and purpose and he still does for our lives on this earth. And he has a plan and purpose for each of us throughout eternity. My goodness, that alone should give us enough fuel to worship him for the rest of our lives. But then in verse seven, the psalmist also says, he's not only our sovereign and our creator, he's also our shepherd He is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep he owns. And let's be reminded, all of us, of the message of even just Psalm 23 that speaks about our shepherd. The psalmist writes, the Lord is my personal shepherd. I hope he's your personal shepherd today. 
I hope you've not only recognized him and acknowledged him as your savior and your creator, but also your every day, every hour of the day, every moment of the day shepherd, because the one who follows this shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, lacks for nothing, Psalm 23 says. He always leads us to the greenest pastures and to the most refreshing waters. He restores our strength. He always leads us down the right paths for his namesake. And even that day when we will all walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist writes in Psalm 23, I won't be afraid because your rod and your staff will be a comfort to me. And then he says, Surely, most certainly, goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. My cup is completely full. In fact, it's overflowing and running over. Surely, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. That's our shepherd. <laughs> That's our shepherd. And so the psalmist says, come, for here." Let me give you some reasons why we should be worshiping God. Sovereign, creator, shepherd. But he doesn't stop there. Notice in verse 6, he wants to talk to us about worship. And here he's using very graphic Hebrew language. In fact, Without the English translation, it's basically come, bow down, bow down, bow down. That's the Hebrew. Come, let's bow down and worship. Let's kneel before the Lord, our creator. You see, here, God is showing us some aspects of how to worship him. And notice it started out with praise, but that's not the only way we can worship the Lord. It's also, I'll use another P word to keep the alliteration going, prostration. See, I can worship God by praising him and shouting out to him and singing him, but I also should be worshiping God in my life by prostrating myself before my God. Because the words bow down literally mean to live my life in awe of God. To be overwhelmed by who he is and who he is to me and what he's done for me and how he's blessed me. There should be an awe, a growing reverence and respect for God. But folks, this does not mean that God wants us to come before him in, in, in cowering fear as we bow before him like some, you know, evil tyrant or somebody that we're afraid of. No, that goes against what we said earlier. God wants us to come to him and be as close to him as possible and not be afraid of him in an unhealthy way, but we as those he's created and those he's saved should always maintain an all of him a respect of him, a reverence for him. And somehow I feel like even in the church today, that's getting lost. That in order to create such a comfortability between the people of God and God himself, that we've sort of cut out the reverence and respect that God should always hold in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. Bowing down also means to me that we recognize 
He's God, I'm not. And therefore, he's wiser, he knows better, I'll follow him, not trying to get him to follow my plans and all of that. See, there, there's, a, there's a real practicality and everyday relevance here. If I'm bowing down, then I'm acknowledging, God, you're greater than me, you're wiser than me, you know more than I do, so why wouldn't I follow what you're leading me to do? Because you can see all things, you're God, you're omniscient, you're almighty. I'm just, I, just this little finite, feeble human being here. God, I need you. I'm bowing down. I'm acknowledging my need to rely and depend upon you and surrender my life to you each and every moment. Then he says, let's kneel before the Lord, our creator. It means to bless and adore God. And can I stop here too to say, have you noticed through our series on worship and even in this psalm alone, how physical worship is? You know, at least I'll just say with the background that I had, I won't mention what that is. Church was like you come into church and you don't smile and you don't, you're not happy and you, you sort of just sit soaking sour <laughs> and you don't move, you don't dare move. So, you know, you just sort of like there and you, you even if you are singing, you, you don't try to move, you're almost like a ventriloquist, you know, I'm, I'm going to sing, I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to. And then you read about the worship of God in the Bible and it's like shouting and celebrating and it, it's bowing down and it's kneeling and there's activity. And I think to myself, you know, so often as Christians, it's like we, we want to worship God, but we don't want to sort of get dirty doing it. And I'm like, do we not recognize how thankful we should be that we're New Testament worshipers rather than Old Testament worshipers? Because you want to talk about some dirty worship. How do you like to have went out to your pen, went through all the sheep, got the one that was without spot and blemish, threw it on your back, you know, had to carry it all the way to Jerusalem, you know. You get to the temple, you got to take it off, you got to go through all these washings and all this, and then you see the priest slaughtering the thing and there's blood flowing all over the altar. We don't have to do that because of the blood of Jesus. And yet God says, because of the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus, can I not get you to be a little active here? Amen. Instead of just sort of, you know, bless me, I dare you. <laughs> and trust me, Nicole and I have talked about that before. Because when you're up here on the platform, you can look out and you, you can see it. Yeah, they just, they just sit there like, I'm here, but... I dare you to bless me. I'm not going to smile the whole time I'm in church, and I'm certainly not going to worship. There's no way. And I'm like, oh, good, I'm so glad you're here because we're just going to love the love of Jesus on you, and we're going we're gonna to worship around you, and we're just going to keep praying for you and hope you come around because God is worthy of our praise. Maybe right now in your life, worship needs to be more about just bowing down and just acknowledging God and just living in all of him every day. Because isn't it out of that living in all of who God is that the praises will just flow out of us anyway? I mean, if we truly are in all of God and appreciative of God, 
of, of all, who he is and what he's done for each of us and how he's blessed our life, not only now, but will throughout eternity. Folks, for us, the best is yet to come even. But then, you know, up through the first seven verses of this psalm, it's like, yeah, this is great, and it's so positive and all that. And then there's a change at the end of verse 7. And the reason why is for the rest of the chapter, for the rest of the psalm, there's a very sober warning to the worshipers of God. Notice what he says with the word today. Come for worship today. He says, today, if only you would obey him. He, God says, do not be stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-hearted like they were at Meribah, like they were the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your ancestors challenged my authority and tried my patience, even though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I was continually disgusted with that generation. And you know what generation that was, the one that wandered and died in the wilderness. He says, these people desire to go astray. They will not obey my commands. So I made a vow in my anger. They will never enter into the resting place I had set aside for them. Oh. See, God had so much that he wanted to share with them, but they didn't believe. They didn't trust. There was no faith there. They never entered the promised land. They never entered that resting place. So what's the warning for us as worshipers of God today that we can glean from their example? It is simply this. True worship of God requires faith. You and I cannot worship God with an unbelieving heart. That's incompatible with worship. And he's saying to all of us today, trust me, believe in me, have faith in me, because without that, you will never enter your own promised land. You will never enter that place in your life where you're at rest. Amen. And there's so many even Christians today, I'm not talking about the world, so many Christians today that are not at rest, they are restless. Their life is filled with stress and anxiety and, and worry and, and angst and they're tied up like knots and they've never entered that resting place. They've never truly experienced on a day-by-day -day basis that peace that passes all understanding. And God is saying, the only way to get there is to worship me enough to trust me, Amen. to believe in me, to have faith in me. Don't be like this generation who lived their whole life and they never got to their resting place. They never enjoyed the rest that God had for them because... They trusted in themselves more than they trusted in God. They believed in other things that they could touch and feel rather than the God who obviously manifested himself to them in very real and tangible and physical ways. They saw him part the Red Sea. They saw his presence in the cloud and in the pillar of fire. They saw the miraculous deliverance from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They saw and experienced the plagues that God rained down. And yet in spite of all that evidence and all those signs, they still had a heart of unbelief. And I think to myself, how many times as Christians, we've seen the hand of God at work. We've seen, all, we've seen other miracles. In fact, each one of us, if we know the Lord, we're a walking miracle. Amen. 
God has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. We are all walking miracles of God. We've all experienced the miraculous, supernatural power and presence of God in our life. And yet we still at times, God, I don't want to believe. I don't want to trust you. And when we make that choice, we're not going to be at rest. And God longs for his children to enjoy rest. I mean, think about this real practically as a parent or even, you know, in our case, even a grandparent. You're holding this young child and they're all upset about something. And you know it's not any big deal and that either you can take care of it for them or, or it's really not worth getting all upset about. But they're really upset. And I think to myself, magnify that about a million times over with God with us. You know, we're all upset about something and we're all, you know, our, we're just so out of sorts. And God's just like, just let me hold you and it's going to be okay. Just trust me. I, I'm, I'm going to see you through this. I'm your good shepherd. I'm going to provide for you. I'll, I'll protect you. I, my love is always there for you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And we just get so upset. And I think to myself, if we feel that way as human beings about our own children and grandchildren whenever they're so upset and yet we know it's really nothing, we'll take care of it, how much more does God feel that way about us when we don't trust him? And that's why he ends this psalm of worship with a warning. Because in truly, in order to worship God and enjoy him, we got to trust him. Again, we cannot worship God without faith. So here's the deal. That also means that, you know, we can try to turn worship on like a switch, a light switch. It doesn't work that way. You and I as Christians can't live Monday through Saturday out there in the world distrusting God and not putting our faith in him and then think that we can just enter God's house and turn the switch on and now, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe in you, I'm going to trust in you, and we can just... No, it doesn't work that way. If we're not trusting in God the rest of the week, then we can't come with that believing heart to truly enter into worship here. we got to get our heart of faith right and aligned with God first. Amen. And that's why, can I say, a lot of worship in churches today is either just manufactured human worship or it's just put on. Because sometimes those on the platform and even those out there they haven't put their trust in God all week and then somehow we think we're going to just come into God's house and just flip the switch and everything's going to be right? No. No. Which is why worship of God is not just a one-day-a-week thing, a one-hour-a-week thing. It's an every-hour, every-day, every-week thing. So that then... As you and I trust and believe and put our faith in God individually out there in our lives, man, when we come together, we're not only coming together with, with being in all of God and having enthusiasm and exuberance in our life and, and praising him from the overflow, but we've also spent our week putting our faith and trust in God and saying, God, you are faithful. You are trustworthy. You are dependable. You are reliable. And I'm going to declare that in your house today. But I want to come full circle this morning. I want to go back to that very first word, come. Because that's exactly what God 
wants to say to all of us today, here, come. Isn't that the message that's sprinkled throughout the Word of God? Even from Jesus himself, what did he say to his followers when he looked at them? He said, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is not hard to carry. Then go all the way to the last book, almost the last chapter of the Bible, and what do you hear? And the Spirit and the bride say what? Come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come and take the water of life that is freely offered. Come. That's the message that God has for us today. Come. If you're looking for love, you'll find no greater love than the love of God. Come and receive his love today. You're looking for joy. God is the giver of joy. A joy that we've been talking about on Wednesday night in our study of Philippians. God is so serious about joy that he sent his own son to die on a cross so that he could implant a joy within us that no circumstance could ever take away. Joy. You want joy? Come to God today. You're looking for peace? God's the Prince of Peace. He can give us a peace that passes all understanding. You're looking for hope. God's the author of hope. He's the God of hope. You need comfort. He's the God of all comfort. You need healing today. He's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. I don't care what your need is. God is sufficient to meet it. He's telling us today, come to me. I'm your answer. I'm the one you need. And I've made provision, the door, the way is open. You come because the blood of Jesus Christ has been shed for you and for me so that we could walk that way. That's why it was so significant after the death of Christ on the cross that that veil of the temple was rent in two. Basically, God was saying, the way now into my presence has been opened and if you know anything about that curtain, that curtain was high, it was thick, and it weighed a ton. And God was saying, I don't care how high the obstacle, I don't care how thick the obstacle, I don't care how heavy the obstacle, I can get through it. I will make the way. You just come. So today, here's the message for God's people from Psalm 95. Come for worship today. Would you please repeat that after me? Come for worship today. Again, one more time. Come for worship today. Let's stand and pray. God, we thank you for who you are. You are the great God who has created everything, sustains everything, who was willing to die so that we might have life through you, who was willing to sacrifice himself so that every obstacle and barrier between us and you could be removed so that we could come into your presence and be as close to you as possible. But God, we acknowledge because we're human, even as your followers, we are a needy people. 
as we walk through our days, God, life gets to us and people get to us and Lord, so many things just are hitting at us all the time and all around us. And God, sometimes it's just good to come into your house and get a reset. And God, I'm clearly hearing you say to me as your representative in this church today to invite your people to come to you. You want us to come, God. Whether it's to sing, whether it's to bow down, whether it's to kneel before you, God, whatever it is, God, may we just respond to the moving of God in this place today and come. He has clearly told us in Psalm 95, he wants his people to come for worship today. And today, if he's moving, if he's working, if, if we're hearing his voice, then let's not be like the children of Israel long ago, who would not believe, who would not trust, who would not respond, who were hard-hearted and stiff-necked and stubborn. No, God, give us a heart that will respond to you. Give us a heart that you can mold. Give us a mind that, that you can transform. We give ourselves to you, God. And we want you more than anything else. Because, God, we acknowledge here this morning as your people that there's nothing in this world, there's nothing that the devil himself can offer us. There's nothing any other human being can ever offer us that is of greater value or more worth than you, God. You're it. You're the prize. You're the treasure. And so, God, may we want you more than anything else. Accept our worship, God, today of you. And move in this auditorium this morning, God. May we be responders to you, Lord, in this place today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.